Well, great uh, worship this morning and great reminder on this Thanksgiving weekend to give God our gratitude and our thanks. As we come to the end of this Thanksgiving weekend, we know that Thanksgiving marks the beginning of this uh, holiday season as we enter this Christmas season and celebrate and we look forward to that day. And, and one thing I know that's really hard about this season is waiting. Waiting. Remember the Tom Petty song, 1981? Remember the song, The Waiting is the Hardest Part? The Waiting is the Hardest Part. Do you ever experience that in your life? The waiting is the hardest part. We're going to be talking about waiting today as we wrap up our Exodus series. We've been in this series for a while and we'll be looking at waiting, but waiting can be very difficult. I don't know if you've been waiting for something. As I said, as we know, we're heading into Christmas and something our girls still like to do is they like to make uh, these countdown chains in, in our house. Like when we have like a, whether it's like a vacation or whether it was Thanksgiving or now it's a Christmas chain. And when I saw this long chain, you know, one paper thing for each day, I was like, we still have that many days? until Christmas? Like that was like, Christmas seems a long way off. And especially when you're, you know, younger, I think it gets really hard to wait because you're excited about Christmas Day and the presents you're going to get or the gifts you bought for somebody. And so we wait and we get excited. But in life, waiting is hard too. There's lots of things in life that are hard to wait for. Maybe right now you guys are waiting for some answer on something. Maybe it's like, did I get into that college that I wanted to go? Did I get that scholarship? Uh, did I get that job? Is that house offer I put in, is that going to come through? You're waiting for things. Maybe you're waiting on test results. You're waiting to hear back. What is the diagnosis? What is it going to mean? Maybe you're recovering from some surgery or injury, and the waiting until you get back to 100% just seems painful and painstaking. What are you waiting for? Is there anything in your life that you've been waiting for? It can get so hard. Maybe it's the good things you're looking for. You're going on vacation someday. Coming up, and, and, and you're counting down the days. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. But I'll tell you, the hardest thing that I have to wait for on a regular basis is that stupid light at the restore. <laughs> did, you ever have, did you ever exit over there? You know what I'm talking about? A minute and 35 seconds if you catch it just at the wrong time and you're trying to turn left or go straight. It's a daily reminder that the waiting is the hardest part. And God's telling me, slow down a little bit, just hold on. But if you're not waiting there or you're waiting somewhere else, spiritually waiting is, can really be difficult, right? If you're waiting for God to move, you're waiting for God to answer, you're waiting for God to come through on something, you're, you're praying, you're, you're praying for somebody, maybe praying for a family member, you're praying for healing, you're praying for direction, you're praying for a renewal in your spirit, and you're waiting and going, God, when, how long, is even a refrain in the, that we read in, in the Psalms, how long, O oh Lord? But you know what's so interesting? God's timing is not the same as ours. Have you ever experienced that? Do you know that when we think about our life, we want to make a long-range plan. We're going to plan out three years, five years, ten years. Maybe even a plan for your whole life. 60, 70, 80 years. Maybe God gives you 100 years. But do you know what? Some of God's plans go way beyond one of our lifetimes. Like we can't think about planning for something, you know, a thousand years from now. When we think about God's timing and God's plan, it moves slow. Most of the time, that's what it feels like. It's like it's just moving slow because God is not bound by our time and space. He created, he exists beyond time and space. The Bible tells us that for God, one day is like a thousand and a thousand is like a day. And sometimes, again, it just feels like that things are moving so slow, and we wait on God, and, we, and, and so we have a hard time in our infinite or our finite 
understanding God's infinite plan, and we only see it in this time and space and this time span in our lives, and we don't understand what God might be trying to orchestrate in a much bigger way. What is the big picture? And so we wait, and we struggle in the waiting, and we find that many times in our lives we have to wait on God. And so today as we close out the series of the Exodus, we're going to look at waiting. What is this part seven, waiting? We've gone through all these different stages, and now we come to this waiting to understand how does the story all come together? Everything we've been talking about, we're not just looking at the story of the Exodus only in the book of Exodus. We're saying the Exodus is really this meta-narrative that, that is really the whole Old Testament goes into the New Testament and really is a part of our story. And today, it all comes together. So we're going to keep looking at this whole picture now, this journey to freedom that we've been talking about that began with the Israelites captive in Egypt, right? And the whole hope was for a promised land, that there would be a day of rest, that there would be a day where we can finally be a nation, where God would dwell with his people, and, and we would be blessed to be a blessing to others. And that was the hope. The promised land was the hope. But they were captive in Egypt. And we, so we began that story, and the captivity was a long time of waiting. They waited, and they waited, and they cried out, and they called out to God. Rescue us, save us. And God heard their cry, and he sent rescue through Moses. Moses came. He was the deliverer, the one that was going to set the people free through the hand of God. And he brought the plagues and different things to bear and put weight and pressure on, on Pharaoh. And finally, when the last plague came, which was the death of the firstborn, but those who put the blood on the, lamp, uh, on the doorposts of their homes were saved by the sacrifice, and they were set free, and Pharaoh, his will and his, his resistance was broken, and he said, let the people go. Just go, go, leave. And they did, and they experienced freedom. And finally, freedom had come, and so now they were living free. And so in this journey of freedom, they experienced what it was like as they were now marching out of Egypt, and God guided them through the Red Sea. He parted the waters, let them out on dry ground. He leads them in freedom all the way to Mount Sinai where he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were not a condition of God's love, but saying, here's some guidelines that will help you to live free. If you live in this way, if you understand this foundation, then there were other laws and regulations that were intended to help the people understand what it means to finally live free. And so now they experience that freedom. They were heading to the promised land. And then they get to the edge of the promised land, and here it is. They've been waiting for 430 years, they were waiting. And they get to the edge of the promised land, but they come back after some spies, 10 out of the 12 spies that come back seeking out the land saying, we can't do it, except for Joshua and Caleb. But the other 10 said they can't do it. And so they said, we want to go back to Egypt. And God honored them. He said, well, we're not going to take you back to Egypt, but you're not entering the promised land. And so what happens is they wandered for 40 years. Another time of waiting, another season where they had to wait for God to move. Till that generation passed, and then under the leadership of Joshua, they cross the Jordan River, and they begin to settle the land. And that's been the hope, the settling of the promised land, to finally take hold of it, to be in that place where God would dwell with his people. The blessings are flowing. They establish an amazing nation, the envy of others around them. They have kings and palaces, and they have the, the temple is built, and they have a place to worship. And they have everything they had hoped for, except they were already struggling and the prophets had warned them that's the time to be careful in their abundance and that they began to lose sight of God and they began to worship other gods and they began to, to sin and to do things that dishonored God. And after 800 years of God being patient, the patience ran out and the warning of the prophets happened and there was a Babylonian exile. They came, they conquered the people, and that's where we ended last week with them in exile. 
For now, they're living in another nation. The walls were torn down. The temple destroyed. The palaces. The nation was in ruins. A few were left in this desolate place, and the others that were, still were alive were taken captive and now living in exile. And God told them to live and to be in that place. They mourned. They repented. But then they also said, God said, work for the peace and prosperity of the place where you're living. And that's where we ended last week. They were in exile. And today... We come back to this place now where they are heading back into, the, back into the promised land, and now they are entering a season of waiting. So they come back into the promised land. Now what happens? They were 70 years captives in, in Babylon. They come back. Uh, we did a series a, a while ago on Nehemiah, the great book that we read about the rebuilding of the walls. Nehemiah comes back. He leads some people back under King Artaxerxes from Persia. He allows them to come back. And they begin to rebuild, and they say, we need to rebuild these walls. We need to reestablish the city. We need to reestablish this foundation. And so now they were coming back into their homeland. And even though they rebuilt the walls and they rebuilt a temple, did you know that they were never a nation again until 1948? Isn't that weird to connect our current history, recent history, to that? They were never a nation. They didn't have kings anymore. They were always under occupation. They were never quite settled in the land as they were before. And, and we have this crazy history that happens during that time. And so what happens now as they're in this place, as they're not in, the, in this land where they're occupied, and they're thinking now, going, what's going to come next? And they ask a key question that we all ask. It's a key question of the exodus. It's a key question in the waiting. And it's this question, who will save us? Who will save us? That was their hope. Who's going to save us? Who's going to allow us to rebuild our nation? Who's going to rule? Who's going to establish Israel again as a nation that is the, the dream of all the others? And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. When's that going to come? Who's the rescue going to come from? And I think what's interesting is that's still a question that we are asking today. I think we're independent, and we're Americans, and we think, oh, you know, who will save us? I don't need anybody to save us. you got to fend for yourself you got to make sure you do what you do for you and your family and can't count on anyone else. But deep down, we all still wonder, who will save us? Why do you think we spend millions and billions on political advertisement? Why is there so much contention around politics and presidencies? Who is going to save us? We need to have the right person in the White House because their salvation will come. Maybe not in a spiritual way we're thinking, but we're thinking that's the saving of the nation. We have to save the nation. If the Democrats continue to have power, it's over. If the Republicans take the House, if the Republicans take the White House, it's over. What are we saying? We need somebody to save us. If we don't get the right people elected in these right positions, now I'm not saying politics isn't important. I'm not saying voting isn't a right and a privilege and something beautiful that we can do and we should. But we're asking the question, who will save us? we got to get the right CEO to save our company. Who will save us? And we ask that question, and we have to ask that question personally, spiritually. Who will save us? Who will reestablish what we want, what we long for? How do we get back to the promised land? And so that's what the Israelites were asking. The Hebrew people were saying, who's going to come and reestablish this nation so that we can finally have the promised land? But what we're going to discover is they're never going to experience the promised land this side of heaven. We're not going to experience the promised land this side of heaven. And so they waited. 
And the prophets began to speak, and maybe they, and, and people didn't quite understand maybe what they were saying. And, and now, in hindsight, we look and we read the prophecies fulfilled, but they began to speak during this time of, of resettling the land when they were back. And here's, I'm going to read some scriptures here for you from, from Isaiah, uh, the first one from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was talking about something different. Now, we're not talking about a promised land, but maybe a Savior, a Messiah, something else. So Jeremiah 23, 5 says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Oh, another king is coming. There's going to be a king that's going to be raised up. The people put their hope in him. Isaiah writes, 11, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Out of the stump of David's family, so King David, right, will grow a, a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So they were looking for a savior. Who will save us? Who is going to come? Oh, a king is coming. One out of the line of David, that amazing line. And they put their hope and their trust in they, in, into this. But the years passed, and time passed. And one year, and one decade, and one century. Do you know how long they were waiting? Until the one who claimed and said he was the Messiah came? 430 years. Did you just hear that number earlier? What was that first number? 430 years that they were in slavery in Egypt. We read in the Bible, on the 430th year is when Pharaoh set them free. And we have 430 years from the time of their return from exile to the time of Christ. This long period of waiting. And they were waiting, and they were waiting for a Messiah. Now, the Messiah means the anointed one. But you know, when we say Jesus Christ, we're not talking about his last name. He wasn't son and daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Savior. Jesus the Anointed One. It's another word for Messiah. Whenever we say Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging that he is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior that was to come. And so they waited. They waited 430 years, and here Jesus appears. And now we're looking in this time as they had rebuilt the temple and they had built some of the walls, they had put their hope in him. Would the promised land finally be restored? Here is Jesus, the one from the line of David, the shoot that has grown up. Will he bring that salvation? Would God's promise be restored? Yes, but not what the people expected. It was not what the people expected. So here's the thing. There's a new promised land. The promised land becomes a metaphor. The promised land becomes a uh, symbol for us. But there's a new promised land. It's not about this plot of land. It's not about one people and one nation and one time. There's a new promised land. And we have to understand this as it all comes together here, what God was preparing the people for, what the prophets were preparing them for, and what was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what is the new promised land? The new promised land is not about a promised land, but about a promised Savior. This is huge. This changes everything. It's not about a plot of land. It's not about a promised land. It's about a promised Savior. Isaiah said it in chapter 7, verse 14. He said, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The Savior is God himself, God with us, Emmanuel. It's not just the human God. It's God himself. It's a Savior. That's who's coming. And then we read in Matthew chapter 1, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Very different, not a promised land, a promised Savior, fulfilled in the New Testament. Isaiah writing hundreds of years before, fulfilled here in Matthew. The new promised land, not about a promised land, but a promised Savior. It's also not about a human king, but an eternal king. It's not about an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. It's very different, which changes the whole construct of how we understand this. Look at Isaiah again, writing hundreds of years before, Isaiah 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. Oh wait, that sounds kind of earthly, doesn't it? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But then it changes the tone a little here. His government and its peace will never end. Oh, a nation that will exist forever. Is that what it's talking about? He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. When you think about this, there's a foreshadowing of Jesus' coming. It was a prophecy telling of what was going to come. It's going to be different. It's not about an earthly kingdom. It's about a, a spiritual kingdom. It's about something so much more. Jesus himself, we read in John 18, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. What does he say? but my kingdom is not of this world. He uses the language of kingdom and what people thought and what we think today. We think of kingdom, we think of empire, we think of our country, we think of states. The Bible is pointing to something greater, not a human king, not any, but an eternal one, not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual one. It's also, the new promised land is also not about external peace, but it's about an internal peace. See, the external piece of the promised land was all about a land where they would have rest, where they would have peace, where they would have, have rest from the enemies and, and finally have a place to settle down. But it's, in the new kingdom, it's about an internal peace. Jesus, Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's not just about having, you know, a little cabin in the woods and having rest or being able to go to the beach or going up to the mountains or just having your perfect little environment in your home. I mean, those are great places to rest. Those are physical places that renew us and we're grateful for them. But this is about something more. You will have rest for your souls. <laughs> you know, some of the people who have the most amazing places in this world or, you know, have multi-billion dollar yachts may not have any rest for their souls. You can't buy it. You may have some external peace, but this, is, this kingdom, this new promised land is about internal peace. It's also not about hope for one people, but hope for all people. This is a different kind of kingdom. In Isaiah, again, we read the prophets foretelling. He says, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation. To whom? To just the Jews? To just the Hebrews? No, to all the world. <laughs> This will be the banner. It will be a banner to all the world. The nations will rally to him. Remember, they were to be a blessing to bless others, not just a blessing for themselves. And in the revelation at the end of Scripture, as we read of the vision of, of, of that day, of that glorious day, of that return of Christ and standing before the throne, we read in Revelation 7, 9 and 10, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Do you see how it's different? It's not about a promised land. It's about a promised Savior. It's not about an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one, a spiritual kingdom, an eternal Father, an internal peace, salvation for all people, not just for one, but that Christ came to fulfill this promise, that this is what the Exodus is all about. It's that we have the hope of a new promised land found in our Savior. So as we look at it for us, we read this in the Old Testament, we read the story, we see it in the New Testament, but it's really about a second exodus, our exodus. That's what this whole series is about. That's what Scripture teaches us. We find ourselves in that story and we see for us, where are we in this waiting for the promised Messiah? Where are we? It's our second exodus. And so as we look through the story now, not through the lens of just what we read in the history of the, of the Old Testament, but now we look at it for us. We think about our captivity. It's not to Pharaoh, but it's to Satan. It's being held captive by sin. That is the captivity that we are all held in. We're in bondage by it, and we cry out to God. We cry out for rescue. Send a deliverer. It's not Moses that comes as the rescuer. Not Moses as the deliverer, but God himself. Jesus comes as the great deliverer who will free us from the captivity, who when the, his blood is spilled on the doorposts, the wooden posts of the cross, brings our freedom and pays for that price. And so we experience our rescue and he leads us out of captivity. He leads us into a place where we experience to, the freedom to be free. And so in the second exodus, freedom now feels like we have our debt paid. Our debt has been canceled. We can live in freedom. The Ten Commandments, are not abandoned. The Old Testament is not abandoned, but it is fulfilled, the Bible tells us. That is fulfilled in Christ and that we can live free. We don't have to live under the power of sin anymore. And God continues to make a way through the Red Sea into freedom to live in that way. And we have the opportunity to, to, to take the land. We have the opportunity to take this, 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 this new life that God has given us. And the choice becomes ours. What do we do? Do we take the freedom? Do we live in that? Or do we say we can't? And we end up in a season of wandering. Where we're just not sure, where we doubt. Now God still walks with us. God is still there. He's still available to us. He's waiting for us. And maybe that's where we are in, in that season of wandering. Not sure, maybe, maybe so. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can fully commit. I don't, I've got doubts. I've got struggles. God is faithful and he's waiting but what he ultimately wants us to do is to settle in that place of freedom, to find that place of rest. And it's not Joshua leading us across the Jordan River. You know, Joshua is Yeshua, which is also the same word, Jesus, just a different language. We have Jesus leading us into that new place, the one who saves, who leads us across the Jordan to settle the land, the land that is filled with, with, with kings and conquered territories where battles need to be fought. That's in our own life and spiritually. We have battles to fight. There's things we need to overcome. There's a future we need to take hold of. In Joshua, Jesus leads us through into that place to settle that land, to conquer the kings, to establish his kingdom, to establish his throne. And when we are, we can find that place of rest and peace in him Internally, again, not externally. Because if it was only about external freedom then, and peace, then only countries and nations that are at peace could experience peace. Only people who have nothing in their life that, that could be unsettling or 
difficult to go through. But we can have that peace regardless of where we find ourselves physically, what stage in life, what phase we're going through. We can be settled in finding that peace. But we know in that journey of settling, there's challenges that come. There's sin that's there. There's, there's, there's the prone, you know, our proneness to wander, as the scripture says, as the, as the hymn says. And is exile something that we might be experiencing? Now, the Bible tells us that we are foreigners and aliens here, that we are living in a perpetual state of exile this side of heaven, meaning that we are, at, we are here, we live here, but this place is not our home. And that's what leads us to the waiting, that we are in a season of waiting. Maybe you've heard it termed this way, we live in the already but not yet. You know what that means? We live in the already but not yet. We already live in a state where Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He has restored us. He has given us new life. He has come to show us the way we can receive it. We already have it. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fulfilled. There's still a time coming, Christ's second return, when things will finally be made right and eternity in heaven for all time with Christ, and he will come back. And so we live in this in-between time, and that is the waiting that we are in. Now, we don't just roll up, you know, in, into a ball and curl in the corner and say, God, come. Jesus, come. We, we, we can't. No, he's called us to live in this world. And so we wait. We wait. We're in the already, but not, the, but not yet. Here's how Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 8. He said, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us, as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has for us. Right? So there's this, this anticipation. We, we were given this hope when we were saved. And then he says, if we already have something, if we have it already, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Do you see how he's getting at that challenge? It's like, we have it. We know it. it's not here yet. We hope for it. We know it's there. So now we have to move with expectation forward. It's there for us. This is our journey, our second exodus. Where are we? So a couple things. What do we do in the waiting? What do we do as the people, as the church, in the waiting for Christ's return? The first is this. We need to hold on to hope. Similarly to what we talked about in exile and lamentations, I still dare to hope, even as we are living as foreigners, foreigners and aliens, I still dare to hope, as it said in lamentations, or as it says in Hebrews, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Without wavering. That's hard, isn't it? Sometimes our hope wavers. Sometimes we, 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 we drift. Sometimes we think, is it real? Is it happening? Doubt creeps in. God, when? Is he ever going to come? It's been 2,000 years. Is this really going to happen? Hold on to the hope without wavering. The second is this. Live with expectancy. Live with expectancy. 1 Peter 1.3 says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. How should we live? Now we live with great expectation. If you have the hope of Christ, if you have been forgiven and set free because you have received the gift from, from Christ himself on the cross, we live with expectation. God, we have this hope. 
We can live. We don't have to live in fear. And I think about, I think about our society and I think about our world. The church ought to be the most hopeful people in the world. We have the answers. We have the hope. We know what lies within us. It doesn't matter what's happening out here. We can find that peace, and we can work for the peace and prosperity out here. We shouldn't be the ones who are hanging our heads, who are saying the world is going down, you know, to hell in a handbasket, whatever phrase you want to use. It might be there's lots of bad things happening, but we ought to be the ones who are hope in this world, light in this world, that live with expectancy and expectation and hope. Are you that light? Are you those people in the places where you are? Or you just join the, the, the naysayers, join the conversation on, on social media. Is everything like Eeyore? Oh, I have the hope of Christ. Do you have hope? We can live and we can survive and we can do great things in this world regardless of who's in the White House. America is not the new Israel. The church is. The church in America, the church in Israel, the church in Palestine, the church in Africa, the church in Europe, the church, that is the new Israel. That's the new hope. That's the new kingdom. We are the ones who are blessed to be a blessing to others. And so we are now scattered throughout the world in places where God can use us in a mighty and powerful way to be his hope in this world and to offer and promise a new exodus to the world around us, that we would experience that journey to freedom and that others would experience it as well. And so we hold on to hope. We live with expectancy, but it comes down to each of us. And the third thing is this. We need to be ready. The Bible tells us to be ready to not delay, to not put off Christ, but to be ready. And Jesus himself, as he's talking about the end times and he's talking about when things will come to its fruition, he says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know that time will come, when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. We are to stay vigilant. We are to stay focused. We are to stay on guard and be ready for Christ and what he's called us to. And so this is for us. Are you ready? Have you experienced Exodus or is this just some intellectual, theological, biblical exercise of listening to a great story in the Old Testament? Or is this something we truly experience for ourselves? A spiritual freedom that is found in Christ. Where are you on the journey to freedom? That's the question I want to leave you with. And we look at these these, these areas. Where are you on this journey? Because we're all somewhere. And maybe a different season of life where you're finding yourself, but there is hope in each of these. And there's rescue and freedom coming. Where are you? Who will save you? That's ultimately the question each of us needs to ask. Where is rescue coming from? Church, we are a new kingdom people. People who understand what it means to live in the already, but not yet. People who understand that we're not focusing on a, on a promised land, but we're more concerned about a promised Savior. That our peace is not just about having an external peace and all the comforts and wealth of the, the wealthiest nation in the world, and yet still being dead in our souls and not finding that hope. No 85-inch TV is going to bring you that peace. <laughs> Nothing under that Christmas tree is going to bring you that lasting joy. Where do we find it? 
How do we get there? We are a different people. We live with an eternal perspective. And we understand we are blessed to be a blessing to others. I pray that we would each individually experience Exodus. That we look at the world around us and say, man, we need deliverance. We need to help this world understand where hope is found, in whom it is found. And that we would personally experience that. We're going to close our time with communion. I think it's just a great reminder as we think about this whole series and this idea of being led out of captivity into a promised land, into a promised place of rest and peace. Jesus was the fulfillment of what we read in the Old Testament. He is the promised Savior. He is the Messiah. He is God with us. And he is the one who went to the cross to pay for our sins once and for all. That's why we are no longer in the sacrificial system that we read about in the Old Testament. He became the lamb that was sacrificed for us. He is the one who's establishing his throne for all eternity. He is the one from David's line that has come and why we celebrate in this Christmas season. And the Bible tells us that when we gather at the table to share communion, the breaking of the elements, the bread representing Christ's body broken for us, the cup, a new covenant, a new relationship to understand what this is all about. It's about Christ restoring what Satan has stolen. He said, every time we get together, every time we do this, we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you remember and we take this moment, we pause and we give thanks and we say, God, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. We say that and we give thanks. If you are not a follower of Jesus, why not today? Why not in this act of communion as we celebrate and come together and recognize what Jesus did on the cross, that you would make that personal and you might say, Jesus, as I take these elements today, I just want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, your body broken for me, your blood spilled out so that I could live in freedom. I accept it and receive you today. And in that moment, watch what God begins to do as he begins to renew your spirit. As the Holy Spirit begins to fill you and begins to guide you into a new journey of freedom. Why not today? Let this be your exodus, your journey to freedom. Let's take the elements together. If you have the little cups, the bread is on the very top. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Let's do that. They took the cup and he said, basically said, it's a new day. It's a new covenant. My blood was spilled out for you for the forgiveness of sin so that you can have the life that he promised us. Let's take together and give thanks. With our heads bowed, I just want to encourage you personally to just voice your prayer to God this morning. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him where you are on this journey and where you need him most. Maybe you're in the waiting. Maybe you're crying out for rescue. 
maybe you're adrift and wandering or you feel like you're stuck in exile. Maybe you're ready to head into the promised land or taking your first steps today and you're giving thanks for the goodness, for the freedom that God has given you. Let him know. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. The prophecies that were foretold, the fulfillment of scripture in you. Father, this Exodus journey that we can so relate to and that we are still on, God, as we're waiting, as we're already but not yet people in this world. Father, continue to fill us with your hope, fill us with freedom, that we would just live in that assurance. God, that you are our promised Savior, that you are our hope. We give you thanks, and we walk in that freedom. And God, as we enter this Christmas season, Lord, with anticipation and hope for your coming, we just thank you that you came to be God with us. You are our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.